Welcome to the Supplement Engineer Podcast. My name is Robert Chesky. Joining us today, my Polish brother from another mother, Lukas Rakowski, Prometheus Intelligence Sports Technology, and making his glorious return to the Supplement Engineer Podcast, the creator of Fortitude Training, Dr. Scott Stevenson. Glorious. Dr. Scott, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking for a little while beforehand, and you said you are, uh, you've been moving house as of late. So how, how are the, uh, how's that been going? Because the real estate market these days is insane. I'm doing a for sale by owner, actually. Um, oh, good. Not trying to plug the house. I had no idea you're going to ask that question actually to start the <laughs> podcast off, but um, that's been interesting. I have, I have seen, and I continue to be surprised the full gamut of potential attempts by agents to try to take over the sale of my house and represent me. And it's, and it's been, it's been like, it's some of it's kind of disheartening. And then there's some pretty unique um, attempts. Like I've gotten everything from a, literally a video, like someone just, they wrote it a video and didn't watch the whole thing. Cause I don't need it. I'm not going to sit there and go through all these, all these uh, inquiries. Yeah. Um, and then some of them, like one was, I guess you're not interested in selling your property yet, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, uh, so good luck or something like, like he's trying to like kind of yeah. call me out, you know, and then, Weird. then I've gotten, you know, the generic message and it says, if, if you no longer wish to receive these messages, it seems like a personal message. And then at the bottom it says, if you no longer wish to receive these, please reply with unsubscribe <laughs> and, and everything in between, you know, um, it's been just, un, just crazy. Not, not the increase that I want for purchase, but, um, yeah, the housing market's just kind of insane right now. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's uh, so you, you used to be in Florida, correct? I'm, st yeah, I'm still in Florida. Florida. I just moved a few hours south to be closer to my mom. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we've, I've got a place with more room for the dogs. Um, I've got a barn where I'm I've set up most of my gym equipment so I can train. And it's, oh, it's, even, it's even hotter than in Tampa because I'm yeah. a little bit further south. But mainly that now I was training out on my uh, I had a screened in porch. So there was some wind that would kind of move through there. Now I'm in the barn. I haven't even got a, I had two fans I brought with me, neither of which are working now. So I have no, no airflow. Literally it's just, but it's so much fun. It's like, it's just absolutely diabolical training in the heat. And the thing I was just telling someone this, um, Oh, a, a buddy of mine was inquiring about saunas. Um, he's starting to do Russian saunas and Russian hot baths and, mm -hmm. and contrast there. If you're trying to figure out if that can help with his performance, he's a bodybuilder and a, um, he does, uh, um, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I tell you what, when I go into a regular gym and I do have some gym memberships more than I probably need, I go into a regular gym where it's air conditioned. I notice the performance enhancement. Like I literally, it's like, I've got an extra like 30% of go. Like I don't, you know, I'm ready. To, I can just keep on rocking in a way that I could, I just can't, you know, in the, in the gym yeah. here at home in the, in the barn. And the problem is too, that I, I get up and I have some, my dogs have had some medical issues. So I have to stay on a schedule with, with my, especially one of my pups. Mm -hmm. So I don't get in there until two o'clock in the afternoon. When it's, it's, when it's baking like a, by that point. It's hot. And of course it's humid down here. And it's just the, I mean, and men don't do this as well as women just in general. Um, um, anhydrosis is the, is the term for when you, your body stops sweating when, when the, when the skin mm -hmm. is, uh, is saturated with fluid and, and men tend to sweat, whereas women glisten, so to speak, as we, as they like to say. Yeah. So women don't sweat as well. They do a better job of conserving fluids in that sense. And you only get really the main heat dissipation, not from the sweat dripping off of you. It's from the evaporation. 
So right. it's the phase change from water to vapor when you when the when the sweat evaporates. And I'm getting none of that. It's also an adaptation that you sweat more when you're when you're heat acclimated or um, mm -hmm. climatized to a hot and humid environment. And I'm just sweat. I'm just like pouring. Every in fact, I look outside like literally. Like a couple of days ago, I was training, and just when I was training, we got the afternoon summer sh uh, showers that we get here in Florida very often. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I got to walk back from the gym to the house, and it's like I didn't get any wetter except for the stuff <laughs> around my head because I was totally soaked. Yeah. So, so it's fun. I actually kind of I actually kind of enjoy the challenge. It's a neat little. It doesn't help my performance. It's probably not you know not the best thing in terms of from a pure hypertrophy standpoint, mm -hmm. but. Sure does make make it fun out there to just be like going to town and in kind of a crazy crazy environment. What's uh your home gym consist of? Obviously, you can't make it as fully decked out as a as a commercial gym would be. But like you've, obviously, you've got a barn, so you've got a pretty good amount of space to, to work with there. So, what do you have any like essential pieces of equipment that you would all, would have regardless? I have, and I've had this thing um, for like close to twenty years now. Probably, yeah, like 17, 18 years. I have an Iron Master. Um, if you go to ironmaster.com, I have an Ironmaster 950. They have made those for probably a decade. Now they're on to like the 2000, but the 950 previously stood for, that was the capacity of the thing. So you can load 950 pounds, um, or at least get to 950, including the bar weight. Yeah. And it's a glorified Smith machine that basically lets you do almost everything. Um, I really like the equipment. Their customer service, I have to say this each time they, you ever have customer service sometimes it's like, okay, like. Like someone's someone's spoofing me here because this customer <laughs> service is so bad. Like they can't be doing this. They're just dropping the ball on everything repeatedly. Oh yeah. Um, so the customer service, my last few experiences were not good at all. But I love the equipment, mm -hmm. um, and I, so I can do a vertical leg press on that. Of course, I can squat on it. It's set up for doing pull downs. You can do bent over rows, seated rows. I've got a pec deck attachment, and then I also add I added uh, two pulleys on the outside. So it's basically a pulley system that lets you pull the bar up and down. Like mm -hmm. if you're doing a pull down, a cable pull down, you've got a cable that, that goes up through a pulley and then down to the bar right. um, and the Smith bar essentially. So then you pull down and it lifts whatever you loaded on the bar and they've got another system for the pec deck, et cetera. But I've added two pulleys laterally. So now I can do kind of a, I can do cross cable movements mm -hmm. and change some of the angles and I can do like pec flies. Actually, well, I've set it up so I can do pec flies um, backwards which is it's a nice really kind of converging cable fly press mm -hmm. so i'm doing pretty much everything i want to in there i've got a i've got a knee extension hamstring curl combo that's it's decent the loading curve isn't great yeah. to be honest and the range of motion isn't great so i'm a little lacking there but i've been just training on that and i can i've got like for instance yesterday i've got a um i got the i get these things that people are interested from new york barbell.com mm -hmm. i think They've got mm -hmm. a ton of really, really cool accessories. They got they got equipment, sort of an equipment line of their own. But I've got a um, uh, a T bar row bracket that just goes under, it fits under any machine basically, anything that'll be able to hold it down. And it's just it's just got a sleeve that you put a an Olympic bar into, and then you mm -hmm. can do you know rows in the corner, so to speak, as like Ronnie Rose used to call them, like because right. Ronnie Coleman was doing those with twelve plates back in the day. Um, so I so I did those. Um, I have a uh, What's Flex? I have Flex Wheeler has a uh, uh, widow. I think he calls it the widow something widow. I won't say widow maker isn't right, but 
it's a it's a bar attachment that actually has a hole that you can slip onto a um, Olympic bar for doing those, mm-hmm. as well as adjustable handles so that let you go out wide or coming close yeah. for all sorts of pull down uh, movements. So that gives mm-hmm. me tricep press down and like kind of a, di- a cable dip opportunity. There's a bunch of things that can mm-hmm. be done with that. So I've just gathered together some little um, little bits and pieces, and I can do. There's almost almost nothing that I can't do in there. Um, it's not as nice as going to a gym where you've got, you know, multiple lines of equipment and you can find like a perfect sort of a loading curve that feels really, really nice. Yeah. But for right now with one of my pups and we're, what we're going through and I don't even want to leave her um, and we're trying to keep, she's got a problem with one of her eyes. We're trying to keep her from losing sight in that eye. So I've got to give her eye drops throughout the day and I'm just staying close to them. So I just go out there, bang it out, <laughs> you know, Try to try to keep from you know uh, dying of heat exhaustion, and then um, and just stay close to home. But I love the Iron Master. They're they're absolutely worth it if um if someone wants a home gym, and they're even so, they're even not that tall. A lot of times, if people are in like an apartment or something like that, you run right. into like some of those some of the gyms that are really nice usually mm-hmm. cost more. They're like thirteen feet high or some shit. Like you can't can't put that unless you have a dome ceiling yeah yeah that's big like i've seen eight or nine foot ones i don't think i've ever seen well i'm exaggerating probably but some of them are are like they're too high for people to that's if you go and google around like people that's the most commonly asked question i need one that fits in like a you know an eight foot ceiling and it's like there aren't very many and this one this one does so yeah with training outdoors in that that super hot humid swamp ass environment that is uh (laughs) Southern Florida. Are you doing anything special as far as like pre intro workout supplementation, post workout hydration, electrolytes, anything like that? No, I mean I'm I'm just kind of going after it. No, I mean I I obviously I drink a lot of fluid throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to, um, but yeah, I'm I mean right now I'm not trying to get ready for a contest. I'm not dieting down for anything. I mean I'm just I'm just yeah. enjoying. I'm doing the training because I love to train. Just love yeah. to do it. And I've got my priorities have to kind of be in place. I've, like with the move, mm-hmm. just just training was my respite, you know, just to be able to get out of there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm careful with I haven't had any cramping issues and that kind of stuff. So, I've, you know, I've been totally fine as far as being um, being hydrated. But, yeah, that can be that could be an issue. If I really wanted to make sure, let's say if I had a show, I was di- I probably wouldn't train there if I was dieting down for a show, mm-hmm. um, at least not often. Um, and most of my workouts are full body. I'm doing fortitude training. So most of the workouts are, are everything. So legs are pretty much every, every time I train. So yeah, you, you run into, you definitely run into performance impairment issue there, which I wouldn't want to have, especially if I were dieting down Mm -hmm. and the, 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 you tend to hold less water, the leaner you get as well. So dehydration cramping just tends to be an issue more easily when you're really, really lean and dieted. But, but for me, just, you know, average knucklehead, I just bring a couple jugs of water out there and, um, and I do it using my intra, you know, um, maintain that, but, uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Um, that's a good question though. With you've been training for a considerable amount of time, you've created your own training system and you, you have a passion for the, the act, the sport of bodybuilding. Do you ever, and you you just said it's your respite, so it kind of helps keep you centered. It's what you look forward to, you know, if not the most thing, the thing that you look forward to the most during the day. It's, it's one of the things that you really get the most enjoyment out of. Do you ever struggle with burnout or, you know, you want to dabble with different kind of training systems? Like you want to go through like a super high volume phase on like 
and do like the old Arnold style of volume training or do, do you ever go through the things like the average kind of gym goer goes through? I, I mean, I've done all those things, you know, over the years, I guess. So yeah, I have, mm-hmm. if I wanted to do something different, I just would mm-hmm. I, like, I, 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 one thing I know is that if I try, I like to train really, really hard. So yeah. for instance, just kind of um, piggybacking off something you mentioned there, if I wanted to do like a high volume routine mm-hmm. where I'd have to hold reps in reserve, yeah. um, I could do that. You know, it'd be fun just to kind of keep a pump going right. and, you know, do and train that way. And actually last year I trained, um, I think we trained together probably at least six months. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, it kind of added up. It was, a, it was probably about five months at least with Derek Oslin. I, he's a mm-hmm. 212 IFB pro back yep. in Tampa. And we did John Meadows training program. John was still alive, you know, at that time, right. actually. So we were, John was, you know, John had sent him. It was actually the same um, program that Sean Clarita was doing <laughs> and Guy Sister Nino. <laughs> because That's Guy funny. was like a one week ahead of us. And I saw Sean doing a lot of the same. So I'm like, okay, this is the same deal, you know. Yeah. Um, and he, he, we tailored some things for Derek in particular. You know, that's mm-hmm. one of the things about John's program, especially the more recent ones, is you can really tailor them for whatever your goals are, whatever you need to bring up, what have you. Yeah. But that was definitely a high volume. Um, and I did that because it was a chance to train with someone who likes to really likes to train really, really hard. And I, mm-hmm. I knew from the get go, I knew that it was, it was too much volume for me. I just, yeah. I mean, I, I'm 51 now too. And I've always gotten really, really sore. I think more so than other folks. Yeah. And I train probably harder than the average person. And all those things combined, I'm like, I'm just this is going to be way too much. So I just had to eat my ass off <laughs> to uh, to get through it all. And mm-hmm. you know, I ended up putting on a good amount of weight. But I knew I had to do. I had to pull out every recovery trick in in the, the book, you know, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, aside from like loading up on gear or something like that, because I'm just I'm just cruising along now. You know, I haven't re- competed for a couple of years, so I yeah. just had to make sure I was paying attention to everything, watching my sleep. My intro workout was big. My post-workout, I was – that's when um, if you, people can look back on the hashtag serial gains and they could find – did you, did you see that come through? I don't know if that was – I'm weird. not active on anything. So okay. okay, yeah. I did – I did. It's, you know what's crazy? This is – we talked talk about social media. Yeah. Um, like with all the things that I put out, I try to make the information informative, mm-hmm. valuable. Um, generally, it's of a scientific nature. That's what people kind of want to hear from me, I think, most. Right. And one day I'm just like, you know, I'm going to just post this because I was putting down a box of cereal in my post-workout meal, um, like a whole box, like whatever yeah. it's like, whatever. It is. So I just put one time just as a pure lark kind of a joke, mm-hmm. hashtag cereal gains. And I think I put cereal gains nation because everyone's <laughs> like, you know, John Smith nation or like, you know, the like mm-hmm. T, everyone's like nation. Like you can be part of my our try. That's the that's the hook about social media. Oh, yeah. about teams like that's a hook that will get humans really really easily we're tribal so you start saying nation about it. it's like oh i'm part of this nation now <laughs> i found my identity like we talked before the podcast too so i put down serial gains nation and i played on that like for like five six months it was hilarious mm-hmm. and i was getting tags from people all over the world literally you know and i say like you know we take in all shapes colors creeds races everyone you know like there's no one's it's the hashtag nation is, is worldwide yeah. and um yes yeah, so that was quite quite fun but uh so that was that was i just did that knowing that wasn't gonna like get me that wasn't ideal 
yeah. for putting on as much muscle mass and, and as little fat as possible for having optimal kind of P ratio during gaining mm-hmm. wasn't ideal in terms of lifestyle. Cause I had to sacrifice, I was training more often than I would have normally going in with Derek training mm-hmm. when he trained, trained at his, when he needed to train, cause he's the guy who was you know dieting down or uh, off season at first and then dieting to compete. Right. But I got an opportunity to train with someone who you know really loves to train, who's a world-class athlete. And I'm still just, you know, kind of, I'm still a fan of bodybuilding. So for me, it's like, it's not like, you know, hey, I'm better than you. I've been around longer than you. That's like, I get to train with a guy with the amazing physique who loves to train. Like, this is phenomenal. This is an opportunity that was, you know, it was awesome when I, when I did that with uh, Dave Henry 20 years ago. And I met Dave mm-hmm. in the gym and we trained together. And yeah. it was awesome last year when I got to do it with Derek, you know, so um, yeah, I'll take those things whenever I can. This is just sort of what fits right now mm-hmm. with, you know, with how my priorities need to be. Cause my, my dogs are my family, you know, yeah. as much as, much as any, any person, my dogs have always been there for me. So I'm going to yeah. repaying that favor. Outstanding. So. Um, do you think that's something you've developed at, during your career with training as far as, you're not like you don't think you're better than another lifter. You can appreciate the sport through all aspects because you hear it so often that a lot of the like the the legacy bodybuilders or the retired ones now are saying they don't train like we used to. The physiques are better back in the way. Have you always had appreciation of both the history of the sport and like an appreciation of how people train and the f- progression of the physiques through the years and like how they've morphed and changed and evolved? Like, have you kind of always had that mindset of you just hey, I love it, whatever form shape you know, it, it takes your, you're kind of with it and you embrace it for what it is and you can appreciate what it used to be as well as what it is now. I, I think, I think I get this probably a little bit from my, my, especially my dad mm-hmm. who was someone who just kind of got along with everyone. So he was able to see people um, yeah. put himself in other people's shoes really easily. Mm-hmm. And I have, um, I have a, a thought experiment I can kind of share that, that fits with this. You guys got a couple minutes for this. This is one of, this is my, my little thought experiment. So imagine you've got a scenario and, and don't balk at some of the ethical concerns here, but you've, you've got an a- ability to clone yourself at your, at will, and you can also travel through time. Mm-hmm. So you decide to go back and determine, uh, you know, to what extent nature and nurture has impacted who you actually are. Okay. And um, so you go back, you know, 20,000 years, you know, prehistoric man somewhere and you figure out a way without disturbing the space time continuum, you, you put a, a clone of yourself into a woman who maybe wasn't going to have the birth was going to be an abortion. You know this. So you you supplant yourself and maybe you have to change your skin color to match the skin of the people in which you're going to be born again. Mm-hmm. And then you so that person, you grows up in that culture at that time. There's no water. There's no electricity. There's nothing but a small tribe of 150, 200 people, what have you. And then you go into the future by 100 years. You go into you go to Africa. You go to South America. You go to the Ukraine, you go all over the world, different times, different epochs. And then, you, of course, because you've got a time travel, you can you can zip forward and immediately go and then have an encounter with you, genetically you, who's undergone 20, 30, 40 years of life in a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. And I think if most people, when I present that thought experiment, if you consider how dramatically different you would be if you grew up with no social media, no computers, no electricity, no water, running water, yeah. it could be totally, totally different. So 
if you kind of grasp that, like everyone, and, and, and another side point to that is that if you imagine then it kind of take that idea on board, yeah. someone who is born with their genetics and undergoes what they, and this taps into the idea of sort of free will, and that's a whole other topic, but if they live and experience what they experience growing up as they grow, grow up, then the generation they're born into is going to impact them. So if you were that person born when they were and lived what they lived, experience what they experienced, you would be exactly the way they are because you would be them. Yeah. So then when we look at someone and say, well, that person isn't doing the right thing or that I would do this differently. It's like, no, if you were them, you would do exactly what they do. <laughs> Logically speaking, free will is a whole other whole idea. But so we've got genetics, we've got nature, we've got nurture and those two things kind of combine. So then you take a look at, you know, this idea that you mentioned, bring it back to your question of IFBB pros, you know, older school guys. And, and they, I think they have a point, like the guys, there's, there's a greater emphasis on drugs and, you know, trying to get in shape and, and less on just training their asses off. And that's true. That's a function of, of history and environment and how things, where someone grows up, what, what someone sees when they go and they experience bodybuilding the way they do. It's different now than pre-internet. Yeah. But if those individuals were born 30 years previously, they would have behaved that same way. And if those old schoolers were born 30 years later, they more than likely would behave differently than they did in their actual lives. Yeah. So, so that's like the, sort of this judgment of saying like, I'm right and you're wrong, or this is, you know, you can say it's too bad that these things have happened that, you know, for instance, I think it's a valid perspective to say how much the, the availability of information on bodybuilding drug use is so widespread that tends to color people's perspectives. And so you have situations where people use lots of drugs that have side effects that are, you know, unresearched and unknown in the, in that type of high, high, uh, high load polypharmacy situation. Yeah. And now we've got people who are, you know, having health effects that they wouldn't have if they were more of the mindset, hey, you just got to train your butt off and quote unquote suffer your way into shape. Um, not that that's the healthiest thing either. Bodybuilding, you know, at the when you're trying to get on stage is not, you know, it's not a health sport. Sure. Um, they don't they don't look ask for your blood work, you know, to make sure like, <laughs> okay, you can come, like we'll let you compete or like, you know, those two guys are the same, but this guy's HDL is great. He's gonna win. Like, <laughs> not, not how it works. But um, so, yeah, that's there's some unfortunate, fortunate changes. But I think if we like that thought experiment always helped me to sort of realize that, you know, if I were that person who grew up in the way they did, then I would be the you know same way. If you imagine some some person who, you know, grew up in a like a war torn, gang ridden inner city scenario and they're trying to like just survive getting through that and they become an angry, aggressive type of person. It's like how would I not, how do I know that I wouldn't end up being just that person that not someone that I really want, would want to be around as I am now, but I might be exactly like that. Had I might even be worse had I grown up in those circumstances. Right. That's just kind of an extreme example. But so, yeah, I think I've just kind of been, um, been lucky in that I, I got to see, you know, my dad, we model ourselves after our parents. I got to see my dad, how he's, um, really non-reactive, um, to lots of things. He kind of got along with everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. He was sort of the Switzerland, you know, of, uh, of like the clinic where he worked, they, you know, always sort of egos. He was a physician. So doctors can have egos sometimes, even in a small town. And he always just sort of got along. So I, I think I, 
probably picked up on that subconsciously and was able to sort of like step back and say, okay, you know, let's, let's look at it from both sides here. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to, you know, the, the thing is too, like, the, you want to learn from your mistakes. And if you, if you're judging someone and you're holding those prejudices, does that help? Like, right. Does dragging in the mistakes of the past necessarily serve us in the present to figure out how we can make a better future? Right. Not necessarily depends on, Depends on what you're doing with that information. So you keep on drudging it up like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And like, we all know people who like, they just can't let it go. They, like you did something in the past and like, yeah. um, it makes me think of the, the story of the, the two, there's two Buddhist monks who were, um, who had vowed, uh, uh, made a celibate vow and to never, um, of course, have sex with a woman, not even to touch a woman. And they came to a river crossing that had flooded over and there's a woman there can't make it across because it's flooded over the bridge but you can walk on the bridge but her dress is going to get soaking wet and she's just not kind of not sure what she should do one of the monks says hey um i'd be happy to help you across if if you'd so allow me to i'd be happy i'll pick you up and i carry you across we're heading the same direction mm -hmm. she says oh thank you very much so he does that he carries her across he puts her down and, and the two monks head their direction the woman goes the other direction and the they walk for like four or five miles and finally the the, the other monk says okay, I have to say something. Like, we have a celibate bow and you just broke that. Like, I don't get it. And he's like, well, I put her down five miles ago. It seems like you're still carrying her. And yeah, there's like, that's, you know, that's a Zen Cohen type of thing. But I like that one because it's like, it's like, okay. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, it's worth repeating. And it's like, you know, do we need to hold on to these things? Does it, how much does it help to say, Hey, you guys, like you're using too much drugs and like you're doing this wrong and you guys suck and you don't know how to train hard. And, you know, not that I'm saying anyone is saying those exact things, but like sort of this an yeah. overblown, like, you know, um, overly critical. It's like, hey, like, let's try to get the training back. You can get into shape and be better off using less drugs. Here's one way to do it. Look how so and so train. Here's how I would do this. You know, those yeah. so you can, you know, forget the, the mistakes and look to try to find creative um, solutions for, for issues. Yeah. That mm -hmm. also brings up a good point about living by the, if you're going to apply law, live, you know, embrace the spirit of law, not necessarily the letter of the law with like, there's a, there's a yeah. spirit and like a, a meaning behind something in right. terms of like, I thought where you were going with the story is that they, they saw the woman and because they took them out, they just never, they weren't even going to touch her. Like we said, we were going to swear off women entirely. We're not going to pick her up and help her even cross the word. Like, so yeah. one monk was going to do that and one monk was going to, break the vow and get kicked out of, you know, the monastery or whatever. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're right. That's, 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 that's an interesting thing. Like we've laws are laws are, well, that's a whole other topic we get into, but you know, <laughs> we don't need to get picked, kicked off YouTube. Golden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's the spirit, it's the spirit of things is to try to allow people to live in more har harmoniously and, yeah. and laws and you know, how lawyers often function just creates more mayhem. Like, yeah. suing someone because you got served hot coffee coffee that you spill on yourself it's like it's like so there's a you know like you can like there's loopholes where you can actually sue someone for something like that and it's like yes. no the the intention of the laws is not to allow you to to you to you know reactively sue people for you know things they did inadvertently which really you know weren't even weren't wasn't even their fault but you know so there's a yeah there's issues there but that's a different whole other. That's a whole other podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Lucas, you want to jump in with any questions? I feel like I've been hogging uh, the mic. No, no worries. Man. Keep on going. We got uh, we got tons of stuff to 
to uh, talk about. So yeah, man, keep on going. Okay, I'm, um, I'm enjoying. Yeah, all right. Um, with we, I'm gonna rewind back for a little bit, Doctor Scott. Um, your intro workout. You said you you've you've kept that pretty consistent. For the listeners that may not remember back to our first podcast or heard have heard some of your other ones where you've discussed this before. What does your typical intro workout consist of? There's actually, there's no, the best answer for people who want to sort of model themselves. And it's interesting you say that because there's a, a sort of a mentality, a perspective that is sort of an unconscious, it's working unconsciously, I think, in many cases in the bodybuilding world that we look to those who have the, the best physiques or those who are the most knowledgeable and we want to just mimic what they've done. And there's obviously there's some logic to that. Um, that's, and that's how people sell supplements, even though, you know, that when you see, you know, so-and-so IFBB pro who looks phenomenal, he asks, well, you know, how, why does he look that way? It's like, well, he's, he's got great genetics. He's been training his ass off. He's probably enhanced. You think it's because he's using this new form of creatine? No, but still, still somehow we still continue to see those athletes representing the brands. Um, you know, the, the guy, and I think he ended up getting in, got, getting in trouble. Um, the guy who was the, Jarrett was his name. He was the representative for Subway. Mm-hmm. Remember? And he lost all that weight. Yep. That was phenomenal. I would love to see more of those kinds of representatives because, you know, he wasn't like this, you know, he wasn't this Adonis after he lost all that weight. But right. he was representative of someone who actually, literally, I believe that the deal was that he just, just decided to, like, use Subway as sort of a foundational meal for his diet. And yeah. he probably had sort of, um, sort of a momentum that was built by doing that. So he ate better in his other meals and he took on other behaviors that tends to happen. Someone starts doing, you know, a couple things, right. And they say, well, I might as well just do everything as best I can. And lifestyles changed gradually, yeah. but that would be, I would love to see more advertising where people are, are paying attention to what are the people that are like I am doing that's giving them effects, you know, and that's what, that's what muscle tech used to do back in the day too, like with these tremendous changes, but I don't know how much, you know, those were actually legit, you know, to be honest, one of my favorites, and this is nothing against, against him, but Franco Santoriello was someone who was a representative for cybergenics back in the day. Mm -hmm. And Franco, he was, yeah. And he had a, they had a before and after thing with him. And that he did cyber. Well, Franco was before he did that cybergenics program. He, had, I think, he had already won like the USA's, the nationals. He had already gotten a pro card. He was already like he had already had. So he was. There's a muscle memory component there. And Lee, Lee Priest has those famous off-season, you know, photos where he just, you know, he's mm-hmm. living on Kentucky Fried Chicken for like three months, and then, you know, he's Lee Priest. Yeah. Then he went. So th- there's there's obviously some problems with those transformations, but um, we have this. Um, idea like what does so-and-so do and how can we model that and so back to what I do for an intro workout um, right now I'm not like I've got I've got no nothing in mind I'm just I've still I still have things in trailers and boxes in my house that's nice. sort of my main interest and mainly main thing is taking care of my pup but mm-hmm. um, so my intro workout has been changed there are some things that can be gleaned from that right now um, I've got a little creatine in there and actually in, in this case because it's so hot, I'm actually, I don't know I wouldn't even worry about this. Um, I'm using hydrolyzed whey and highly mm-hmm. branched cyclic dextrin because I have some. It, it was, it was yeah. back at home and it's like it's out on the shelves now, so it's there. And that's because 
as opposed to using, let's say, dextrose, which would tend to bloat people and mm -hmm. goes into the idea of osmolality and what's happening when you have number of particles per unit glucose. Um, there's differences there with a, um, a highly branched cyclic dextra, high molecular weight carbohydrate source and a hydrolyzed way. I'm trying to do everything I can to uh, facilitate absorption, especially gastric emptying. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm using pre-digested protein because training in that heat, I, the, the sympathetic nervous system activation is just about oh, yeah. as high as it could possibly get. So that means parasympathetic tone is minimal and nothing wants to go to my GI. So I'm going to bloat and get full. And, and I'm also putting a lot of fluid in because I'm trying to stay hydrated. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing, I'm doing everything I can and I'm not using a lot. I'm, I'm, and I've actually got some essential amino acids in there, which I had a bag that I was in the back of one of my closets. So I pulled that out. So I'm just using that now too. Mm -hmm. Um, people ask me about EAAs, like, should I use, you know, EAAs? And that's a whole other story. But generally, if you're looking for essential amino acids, it's cheaper to buy whole protein sources relative yeah. to that. And, and then you get the whole protein. So you don't end up, you know, running in a situation, let's say, where you just took EAAs in a fasted state. And now the only non-essential amino acids you're going to get are going to be from body stores elsewhere. Um, so, I'm using a little, I'm just throwing a scoop of that in there because it's there. And I'm using uh, like a, a, probably using about a total of 40 grams of protein, mm -hmm. roughly some of the TAs, and then 60 grams of carbohydrate. Um, yeah. And that's just, that's my intro workout um, with a little bit of creatine in there. Yeah. What about uh, electrolytes? Do you uh, add some, some extra sodium, magnesium, those kinds of things? I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't need to, but I, but I take a, I take a multi mineral in the morning too, mm -hmm. um, when I get up. So I think I'm okay there and no, no cramping problems. So, um, yeah, I mean, normally through food, I put a lot, I mean, I put salt on my, on my food. I use, uh, I live on this stuff. How much sodium's in here? <laughs> Sriracha. Sriracha. I can't yeah. actually the what's it say there? It's only got seventy milligrams in a teaspoon, but I get mm -hmm. plenty of sodium. <laughs> Trust me. Um, so yeah, I haven't. You know, your body will figure that out for the most part. So yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, if I were trying to optimize everything, mm -hmm. that's something I may may end up may end up doing. Like literally, I'm I'm I, my workouts happen to some degree when my dog has gone to sleep. I know I can right. sneak out, you know, so it's kind of that kind of in that spot, mm -hmm. but that's a really good point. Um, if you're trying to do two hour high volume workouts in the heat like that, then yeah. Um, electrolytes could be a problem. I, I've found when it comes to cramping and, and this is like in a peak week or a pre-contest type of scenario, when you're most likely to see those things that using a multi-mineral, Mm -hmm. um, it just kind of gives your body everything. As long as your sodium levels are adequate and your fluid is adequate, giving a multi-mineral is sort of the best way to let your body sort of figure out what it needs, yeah. kind of supplying everything. So is it magnesium or is it calcium or is it potassium or is it sodium? Like, you know, which electrolyte is, is creating an issue? And it can be different things depending on the person and their diet. I personally noticed that uh, taking uh, uh, a good amount of taurine can really support the uh you know the hydration of the body and you don't have any cramps so that's also something to consider taking taurine's phenomenal for for yeah. um, preventing cramping that's like almost i have most athletes when they dry out for shows 
mm -hmm. take taurine uh, prophylactically, sort of preemptively. Um, yeah. And and yeah, taurine's a lifesaver. Literally, for some people, it can be a lifesaver. So yeah. it has some ergogenic effects potentially too. And it's it actually is. a component of this of this uh, supplement in this study that you sent for me to. Excellent segue. Yeah. That's what I was yeah. gonna. We we had the Jedi mind meld was in effect there <laughs> on that. So the uh, yeah, we can get to the uh, the main uh, uh, feature, I guess, or main topic of our conversation today. I'll pull this up and then we can start uh, delving into it. So some background for the listeners, although they pretty much know this already. C four is one of the most popular pre workouts, if not the most popular pre workout on the planet. Um, and there have been a ton of studies, there's probably a hundred studies now, if not more, on the ergogenic effects of caffeine on exercise performance, whether it's anaerobic, aerobic, I mean, resistance training, you run the gamut. Caffeine is safe when used reasonably, it's effective, it, you know, it's been vetted over and over and over again. There's a position stand from the International Society of Sports Nutrition on it, anywhere between three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight is been shown to be effective doses higher than that may be effective doses lower than that can be effective but that ultimately also factors into the individual what we don't see a whole lot of are multi-ingredient pre-workout supplements like the the honkin pre-workouts that everybody loves to test and scoop and do supplement reviews on 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 the youtube channels and whatnot very rarely the most of the time these are compared the multi-ingredient pre-workout supplement versus a placebo so non-caffeine placebo but do, is it is it the caffeine that's doing the work is it the combination the magical synergistic effects of all of these ingredients put together or is it placebo what's going on with this we finally have some studies comparing caffeine only versus a caffeine match uh full-blown pre-workout supplement and they used c4 for this um so i can let you start uh taking things away from there dr scott okay so you know i was just leaving myself a note here um this was uh i think this was a study out of uh, is this out of poland actually it is yeah. i didn't realize that till this morning when i was going yeah, back and reworking uh, through it and i thought that's that's fun it's poland yeah I, I gotta be careful you know i, I don't want to um uh insult anyone here if you guys know these the, the researchers um potentially so yeah, I don't know they, they didn't name it explicitly, but this does seem to match um, the ingredients of C4. Yeah, I started to look those up, and like there are so many hits, and uh, they just listed yeah. a proprietary blend um, containing all the ingredients in the list that you're about to pull up. I think. Yeah, um, I think it said. I thought down here it's it in said, the table three. I think. Yeah, I thought they listed down here. This was they. It was C4 in there, and Oh, well, maybe I looked for. I just. Look for um, Cellucor and C4. And they, I mean, they, yeah, cellular. I did that too. <laughs> I didn't see it. I mean, I, I, um, I didn't like literally read every, read every word, but normally th those sort of things should be listed in the, in the methods section, actually. Yeah. So, and there, there's some kind of issues with the methods section, but you, people can go to, if you scroll to, I think it's table three, a couple more pages down. You can you can show the viewers the ingredients. There we go. There you go. Table one. Sorry. So that's what the suggested dose is there. And what they did is they wanted to match at six milligrams per kilogram um, 
a caffeine only condition. So that ends up being about 500 milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so they did sort of an overdose of the C4. So let's just talk about the supplement for a little while here. So that's they sort of a sub section of the study was they wanted to, um, I don't know if they did this retroactively or if this was really an, an a priori hypothesis there, one of the tests, kind of hard to tell, but um, they did an analysis later and they, you know, going on their, their results, you can save yourself a good bit of money if you just buy caffeine as opposed to using this as your source of caffeine, given that these results suggest that, that actually caffeine alone was better marginally better than mm -hmm. the entire supplement. One thing that they mention, and uh, the verbiage is a bit odd. They, they mentioned this in the, um, I think in the, in the methods as well as in discussion that there are certain um, that one of the issues with label claims, not matching the actual content of the, uh, of the supplement. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you, oh, I thought you were going to scroll down to it. Yeah. Um, is uh, that they are certain that they have, that their supplement contain what it says it does on the label, yeah. but they don't present any results of the, of that <laughs> analysis. So that's one potential issue here is that it, it could possibly be um, because it's pretty well known that if you tell someone to take one scoop, that the average person takes more than one, sometimes yeah. two. And I know just having been behind the scenes a little bit in um, supplement manufacturing that you have to consider that if you're going to, if you're going to mm -hmm. give, you know, um, list something, you know, with eight milligrams of euhimbine in it, you know, or 200 milligrams of caffeine that the average person is going to take one and a half or maybe two times that. So you don't want to run into issues where you're giving people, you know, sending people to the ER because they're getting overstimulated in right. some way, shape or form. So they did not document that that was indeed the case. Um, another thing that, that I'm just sort of throwing everything together with C4 is that C4, and, and you, you guys probably know this better than I do, but um, you just Google around, it's sort of renowned for causing gastric distress. Um, you just type in C4, gastric upset, gastric distress, and you know, the you know, thread after thread after thread of people um, having that happen. Yeah. So the idea here then was that they had, they had single-blinded this study, which typically would mean that the subjects were blinded as to whether they were getting the C4 or the caffeine only, mm -hmm. and the researchers knew. Um, they didn't address that specifically, just because single-blinded could be the other way around, not typically. But And they didn't say why they did that. Why not create a double-blind scenario? Like, what's what's the issue there? Right. Part of it was, if you add up those mean, that mean dose there, you get something like 16 grams total mm -hmm. um, in the C4 that they were given and versus only 500 milligrams of caffeine. So they said, you can see it right there at the top of the screen, supplements were served in liquid form. So what we don't know is how did they, how did they create this single blinded condition where the, the, the subjects didn't know or couldn't know or weren't able to ascertain and did they even ask them if they were able to ascertain this? This is going to be a, an issue sometimes when you do placebo-controlled trials that sometimes you don't ask, like with caffeine, and this is in, there's a review by Gergic, uh, Brad Schoenfeld's work with him mm -hmm. a good bit, and one of the issues they bring up is a lot of times they have placebo control, and not everyone can tell if they're on caffeine, but a lot of the studies, they don't ask, did you know that you're on caffeine or not? So 
you've got a scenario here where one supplement is like 16 grams of stuff in fluid. Is it raspberry flavored? Like, did they, like, how did they, like, wh- how did this come across? Right. And, or do they just throw, you know, a half a gram of caffeine in water and then the flavored one? I doubt they did that, but those details are important, um, especially because, as you said, C4 is widely used. These are resistance trained individuals. And many of them, I would imagine probably half of them have taken C4. They probably know what it tastes like, they know yeah. what it, they know the consistency. Um, um, they know potentially that it can cause gastric distress. Mm-hmm. And if we, uh, um, if you scroll down, we're just going to kind of wing this here as we go down through this, they made some psychometric measures. Um, I'm just sort of, uh, it's the, and this is table three, actually the one I was, so scroll down a little bit. There you go. So that, um, they made three psychometric measures before and then after their five set resistance training bout. So they determined a one RM and then they um, set them up at 75% of that one RM and they gave them, they did two bouts um, with the two different conditions. Um, they didn't say how they randomized that. <laughs> they, which you kind of presume they did. There was no order effect. So that's mm-hmm. good. Um, but it was single blind so we've got Rosenthal effects. We've got all these experimenter effects where like, okay, I know this is the C4. I'm giving you the C4. <laughs> right. Those can have an impact on what your expectations might be. What the, so the, how the, how the, there are subconscious influences that the experimenter can have on the, on the, um, the subject that we lose out on because they only single blinded it. And now we've got a situation where you've got 16 grams of stuff in water versus a half a gram. And um, there was there were no order effects, but it's possible that they somehow figured this out. And if you look in that table three, there are three psychometric measures were a feeling scale. It was like a zero to six, mm-hmm. good, like a negative five to positive five, maybe um, good or bad. Um, there was an arousal scale. So um, that's a FAS. And then there was basically an RPE scale. And actually, they felt less good at the beginning. There's an effect size of 0.31. It wasn't significant, but that's a, that's kind of a low moderate effect size. Um, it makes me wonder if it would have been made sense giving us a C4. Like, just ask if, if the experiment if the subjects knew what they got each time. Yeah. I, I did a, for my PhD dissertation. I did a, a creatine study. And uh, I and it was it was uh, double blinded, and we were training the subjects with electrostimulation, so their training efforts didn't matter. I was just ramping up the the, the current and the forces they produced in the training mm-hmm. in a progressive overload fashion. And I tell you what, those guys would come in, and I had a couple subjects. They were always trying to like get me to let them, you know, give them the hint as to whether they were on creatine or not. I'm like, I don't know. I'm blinded to this too. I can't tell you. And he's like, well, What about this? I'm like. I'm not going to try to. So it's very possible that they could have gotten this information because subjects are they're they're curious about what they got. Yeah. So there is that. Another interesting thing when it comes to just these psychometric measures while I'm here is uh, like the RPE has been validated. But what's important with psychometric measures is to have a and this is true for all measurements, really, is to have a a stable, reliable measurement in your lab. So to demonstrate that you can, you know, come back on under 
similar conditions or equivalent conditions on a daily basis mm -hmm. and reliably measure this in individuals. Because some of these things are hard to explain to people. You have to have a standardized way of doing it. For instance, their RPE scale was a rating of perceived desertion with zero being nothing and 10 being maximal. And for some unknown reason to me, and I couldn't glean this from the, uh, uh, the methods, maybe you guys can, they had pre-exercise RPEs of about two and a half to three. So I don't know why their rating of perceived exertion would be zero when they're at rest before they exercise or would not be zero, like why it would be two. Yeah. So that suggests to me like just that without any explanation of that. And you know, that, yeah. that somehow, yeah, there, that, that there's something going that there, I don't know how much faith I can put in their psychometric measures. Right. So, Related to that, so we're, we're, I'm just kind of tearing this, tearing away layer after layer after layer. Um, we've got now uh, psychometric measurements that are potentially subject to placebo effects and experimenter effects. Mm -hmm. And we've got um, a resistance exercise protocol with, where there was no familiarization. So they right. haven't come up with necessarily a stable measurement. Um, another example from my own experience when I was uh, from a master's degree, we did, um, we wanted to have sort of a stable, measurable ergometric um, performance measure in firefighters. We had a, we did, they did a, they did a combat challenge as a, a measure of performance. And we put them on a, a concept two rower, which is a full body experience, just like mm -hmm. these combat challenges. And, but rowing is something you can get better at over time. So we, we familiarized them to rowing with six weeks of I think three or four times a week rowing under one-on-one um, -on -one instruction with uh, someone from the crew team at the University of Texas. So we had a stable measure. So when we did these performance measurements, we knew that they're not going to get better time after time. They saw no order effect here, so we don't know this, but um, mm -hmm. we don't know how they randomize things. So they, so they don't just have a, a stable, stable measurement, but more important than, than that, I think at least, is that and it's something you sort of – um, pointed to is they don't have a placebo group here. Yeah. We don't we don't know in particular now combining the ideas of this these psychometric measures and the placebo effect with this particular exercise um, stress. We don't know in their hands in their lab the way they way they administer this five set exercise resistance exercise bench press test whether they have a measurement that's sensitive to the ergogenic effects of caffeine at all. We don't know, like we don't have like a control condition, you know, and then a placebo condition and then a C4 condition or um, multi-ingredient pre-workout supplement ingression, MIPS. People will see MIPS is in the, the acronym they use to people are kind of following along. That's C4 or in the caffeine. So, we don't know necessarily that caffeine had any ergogenic effect. And they, and I see this often. If you sort of read through their discussion, they imply that, you know, caffeine had an ergogenic effect and there was kind of a lesser ergogenic effect or that that ergogenic mm -hmm. effect was blunted by, by taking in the multi-ingredient pre-workout. Right. We don't know the, the ca what the caffeine dose was in that because they didn't show those, show the results of that analysis. And we don't know that there was an ergogenic effect at all. Subjects, I presume, were given informed consent where they were told that they're going to be given caffeine. Correct. Yeah. So they 
have an expectancy of some ergogenic effect. They may, might be expecting they're going to have er, they're going to have caffeine both times. It could be. I mean, just because they don't. So you don't know because they didn't gather these data. But let's say that I don't know. Fifty percent of these individuals have used C four in the past, and a quarter of them um, have had gastric distress, and they mm -hmm. had. Um, Scroll. How much beta alanine was in there? Was it five? Grams? On average, you're getting about three thousand milligrams. Three, three grams. So, some people, yeah. Well, they, but but that's in a suggested dose. It was five. Oh yeah, five. Yeah, five. five yeah. So you're be tingling your face off if you're new to beta alanine. Yeah. So um, some people like that. Some people don't. They didn't mention mm -hmm. that at all. That's a huge. That could be this feeling <laughs> thing. Like, it's it's kind of like it's like so. So what's your sense of your core temperature right now? Well, the person's <laughs> hair is on fire. It's like, uh, my core temperature is okay, but my head's on fire. It's like, so how do you feel now? It's like, oh, I don't like, I feel okay, but I like, I'm, feel like I'm gonna, my skin's going to burn off my body because yeah. the tingling. So some people, it's, it's possible that there are individuals in this group that had taken, taken beta and alanine before. So now they're completely unblinded because they can tell beta and alanine's in there. And that that impacts what their their expectations are their expectancies maybe like oh shit my gut's gonna not be happy in about a half an hour because that's what has happened to them with yeah. with c4 and or with beta alanine i wouldn't think that necessarily with beta alanine but so so there's some missing they're doing psychometric measures but they're missing sort of the in the trenches like okay you know let, let's just gather the, the other basic stuff like we're giving people c4 with beta alanine in it how does it make them feel? What's well, going to give them the tingles? Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't measure that at all. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of a start into the sort of the main thing. So the reliability of measurements, um, determining whether they've actually got a placebo effect there, not even necessarily knowing if they have a reliable measurement that is sensitive to the effect of, of caffeine is kind of a difficult thing. Um, and uh, so there's some, there's some holes that I see here uh, that, would be they've got a nice idea with the study but those those made it sort of difficult to see um the thing that they did find is that with the, the multiple ingredient pre-workout stimulus that they um they saw a lesser total number of reps um they had some work measurements that they described in their um met in their methods but they didn't report anywhere so mm -hmm. that repetition volume i presume those are just reps but they ended up with it's about it was actually one rep more in the creatine condition versus the um, the C4 condition. And the only significant uh, set statistically was the third set. And that's like a matter of, you know, less than a half of a rep difference. Yeah. So there was just a little bit less on each of the sets, except the second set was exactly the same. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And there that's was interesting effect yeah. size. Yeah. So, um, so it was, it was, I mean, there's a little bit of an impact on performance and they, they note in the, in the discussion, which is, you know, I think an important point is like, so with this tally up over time, you know, how would this, that's the idea is that the harder you can train the the better stimulus you'll create and the more growth you'll create and more, um, more muscle mass you would grow over time. Yeah. So that's a long preamble. <laughs> Um, no, that, that's that's great insight and yeah. background. I mean, that's some of the stuff that you don't typically hear mentioned when we're discussing these studies. Typically say, here's the study population. Here's the, the treatments, you know, either treatment or placebo. 
here's the results, and then we'll give some nuance on that. But the, what you were talking about as far as the Rosenthal effects, no inclusion of a placebo, some of the reliabilities of the, you know, the psychometrics that they were measuring on there. Mm -hmm. um, all of those are, are very, very good points to keep when you start digging into, you know, the research that I, I don't think the average individual really even considers or isn't even aware of to even give a thought to, to begin with. Yeah. And the thing too, and it's not, I'm very glad that they put there were no order effects. So, so what that means for the, for the listeners or not sure what I'm, what I'm talking about there is that they didn't see any um, effect of the order in which the supplements were given. So it wasn't that they, you know, they saw the second, if the, if C4 was given the second time that there was an effect that it, you didn't see the first time or vice versa, there was no, mm -hmm. nothing along those lines. So there wasn't, they didn't get better in the second bout versus the first bout, irregardless of what supplement they got. Yeah. But what they what would have been nice, um, which this is something that you can do with the familiarization protocol is they ha they made no mention and this can be super important. Um, they, they simply said to the subjects as far as, you know, in a generic way, just maintain your habitual routine in all ways, shapes and form, but they didn't control for bench pressing or chest training in relation to when they had their, their, their performance bouts. Mm -hmm. So they had at least 72 hours. So in some cases, it might have been 72 hours, but I'm in three days. Um, it might have been chest day, you know, for some, some guys. They come in like Monday and they come in Thursday. And then someone might have said, well, I'm not, I, I can't make it back in for two weeks. Um, and you've got a different scenario there. And they also didn't make any mention. This is really important in the, in the caffeine studies about habitual caffeine use. So... You know, if you're habituated to caffeine, this is a general effect that you see. You don't see an effect from caffeine doses. If someone normally is, you know, drinking a pot of coffee a day, you can give them 300 milligrams of caffeine and it's a drop in the pot, so to speak. It doesn't it doesn't have an ergogenic effect. Whereas that's me. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So but if someone is is caffeine naive um, and you give them 500 milligrams of caffeine. You know, we've got an inverted U here with with stimulus, you know, or performance and arousal level. So you can end up being too aroused. Um, and like I said, there's no order effect. But I mean, I can imagine like um, someone comes in and they don't they don't have any caffeine. The first time they, they 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 get the caffeine, let's say, and they're like way high. They're like, holy shit. They're buzzing. And there mm -hmm. may I don't it. it takes a few days for habituation to go away but they may have been even some psychological adjustments like okay i'm about to go through that again which wasn't pleasant because it's highly overstimulated by all this caffeine mm -hmm. so just controlling for those things are important it's really um you can't just you can't just i mean the people try to do uh dietary recalls which is better than nothing but you can't just say keep everything the same and not pay attention because you've got advantage of having resistance trained individuals here had some modicum of strength. They got right. their own program they're maintaining. They got their own caffeine intake that they may be ma maintaining. And you don't know what this is. So you've got these intervening factors that aren't controlled for. And it just creates, it reduces your power um, in, your, in your study because it, it's, these are other outside factors that, that create, quote unquote, you, you call it a source of measurement error, basically. Because mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't quantify the, the impact of the caffeine in someone who has varying caffeine levels um or caffeine intake 
you know, they wake up one day and they have a cup of coffee and the next day they just don't, if they don't feel like they need it, or, you know, maybe they've got a, maybe some of these were students. I don't know. What was their average age? Uh, it says male between 16 and 40 years old. Uh, what was the, the show? The average, let me see here. I'll look for it. But some of them may have been students. I mean, maybe they had to, they got up, uh, um, they had five and a half years of training experience, which is really high for these studies. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't give an average. I don't say. See, no, so that's, that's important. Um, but some of them may have, you know, one day, one day they came in and they woke up and, uh, you know, they didn't have time to have a coffee because they had to go to eight o'clock class or they woke up that day and they had coffee because they had to work and they came in in the afternoon. The other day they slept in and they had no coffee because they woke up at 10, you know? So you've got all sorts of intervening factors. It's just, um, that this is why science is not easy, man. Um, the quote unquote keyboard warriors who step back and, and I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to, um, just trying to frame what we can take from this study. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned, Rob was, was to try to, you know, look at their explanation for why they found what they found. Um, and, uh, I think there are some things that are potentially explanatory Mm -hmm. that they didn't measure like habitual caffeine intake or um, do we have a reliable measure? All these sorts of things could, you know, there's sort of weaknesses or, or limitations of the study that, that could point to why they, they may not have had, um, uh, may have picked up on an effect that was actually there. So. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about, and this is uh, kind of piggybacking off a discussion I had with another uh, supplement brand owner and for disclosure for the, uh, the listeners listening to this, I have written articles on the potential interactions of caffeine and taurine in pre-workout supplements. Um, I, my, myself, I like taurine in my pre-workouts. I think it's a great ingredient like we were talking about earlier. But as great as it is as an osmolite, it also is a pretty potent antioxidant in the body and it interacts with the GABA system in the brain. So the discussion I was having with this other brand owner who is very much against the inclusion of taurine and pre-workout for those two reasons that it's a very potent antioxidant. Um, so it could negate maybe some of the, the beneficial effects, you know, the beneficial stresses imposed by resistance training or extreme exercise. And since it interacts with the GABA system, that could be adversely affecting some of like the, the neural drive or the, you know, the, the cognitive function that's going on and maybe impairing some of that, that neural drive that happens and its adverse implications with uh, caffeine. Um, but I'm not sure, like, if, what do you, do you, if you have any thoughts on that? Are, are there are there studies showing that taurine is ergolytic? There way, are. Or? They mentioned something about taurine here. That most of those studies showing on caffeine and taurine, they usually an energy drink like a Red Bull or something like that along those lines, oh, and they show yeah. reduced cognitive function. Um, and but it, it's you know reduced cognitive function. I think after a cycling exercise or something, I would have to go. Let me see if I can pull up the paper real quick. Uh, only, yeah, they, they, they spent about half of their discussion talking about um, the combination of caffeine and creatine mm -hmm. as an example of two ergogenic aids that that can be antagonistic to one another. And I was like, I thought that was that was been, that was nice for a couple sentences, but they went into the they went pretty deep into that. And there's no there's no creatine in this 
at least not in this version. I think there's creatine in some of the other C4 ver versions that are out now, like a yeah. creatine nitrate I found somewhere. Correct. Yeah, there there are some in there. Yeah, there. but um. So what was your what was your uh, question? So the taurine may have been at work here, is what you're thinking as as possible. That's what the uh, the other yeah. brand owner and I were were discussing. Mm -hmm. um, just that maybe it's having some interactions, and it says um, this. I, I pulled up the article that I wrote a couple of years ago now uh, from the article it says a host of human studies have noted that the combination of taurine and caffeine did not improve performance, energy, or attention. Um, uh, it did reduce feelings of vigor and the stimulating effects of caffeine. Mm. Um, also noted that the combination of caffeine and taurine actually increased feelings of fatigue. Again, this was in an energy drink. Series, yeah. You know, scenario. Um, these are the studies on that 25, 26. Yeah, okay. Uh, I wasn't aware of those. So, yeah, yeah and they, in, they kind of missed that in the, the their discussion here. Yeah, and I so said I just, and I'm not sure exactly how how believable that is, or to, to what extent it is. Is that just a bad designed exercise trial? And I would need to you know cross compare it against those other studies. Um, but I, you know, it's taurine does affect the GABA system, and that's but on the mm. same time. You'll hear people rant and rave about how great the combination of caffeine and theanine is, and theanine's mm -hmm. increasing GABA levels in the brain. So it kind of takes away some of the stimulatory effects of caffeine and kind of gives you that controlled Moves focus where you're not super jittery or anxious. You know, right. you feel like the the dog that sees the squirrel and chases it and goes one way or then the other or something like that. Right. Um, me, I, I don't like theanine in pre-workouts because I feel like it completely takes any edge off whatsoever. Um, I like to feel that kicking the teeth kind of sensation from a pre-workout on certain days. Uh, <laughs> I never get that sensation with taurine. Um, and there are some other things about taurine saying it maybe could adversely impact cardiac function. But in the discussion here in the, in the study, they mentioned that taurine actually has a protective effect on the heart muscle. So it's, you know, it's, it feels like it's all over with, there's not a concrete answer on taurine. That's, yeah. That's um, the antioxidant of caffeine. I think. The antioxidant actions because heart muscle is so aerobic, got so much yeah. you know superoxide radical being produced there. I can see that. Right. I mean, taurine is actually taurine has a protective effect when it comes to uh, nandrolone's uh, toxic effects on the gonads in the testes. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been demonstrated in rats. So yeah, it's got some huh. cool, got a plethora of really really interesting effects. So yeah, and, and the thing is. Like, I mean, we, there's the caffeine placebo studies too, where you just tell people that they're getting graded dose. There's a, there's a, a cycling study that was really, they told the cyclists who know that caffeine is ergogenic, that you're going to get graded doses of caffeine on, and we're going to do like a one hour time trial, I think it was. And, and they saw graded ergogenic effects of the expectancies that were produced by telling them they're they getting higher levels of caffeine. So the more yeah. caffeine you told them they got, the better they performed. So mm -hmm. The placebo effect, it can go, you know, and if you other way around, you say like, here's, you're going to get the supplement and this could possibly do this and watch out for this. So, you know, if someone knows they're on the C4 and they're like, they're like, what is this supplement? It's the C4. And so like, well, I'll see you guys in two weeks. So like, so, Hey, I'm doing this cool study. Was it C4? It's like, that shit just ruined my gut, man. That was <laughs> awful. Like you got all these potential expectancies that are coming about. And now they take what they obviously know is the C4 because they haven't, they haven't, covered up and hidden in any way shape we don't know how that, how they did that and that's a big deal to do like that's really tough to do you know mm -hmm. in these yeah. situations you really can't 
um, hide that from people very, very well at all, unless they're completely naive to that particular supplement. Um, right. Or you, you know, you ha they'd have to have done something like, you know, create a like 15 and a half gram, gram bolus of something inert, not cellulose, you know, yeah. not a, like a fiber or something like that, that mimics how you, how that C4 appears in water. Because mm -hmm. I haven't, I don't think I've ever had C4 to be honest, um, but I've had a lot of those ingredients and I had pre-workouts and you can, you can mm -hmm. taste sometimes there's an acidic or a bitter taste, yeah. you know, that yeah. you can't cover up, you know, so it's, they, they know what's in there. They know what they've got. So whatever, you know, um, preformed notions they have of what they're getting, that's going to impact their performance. And you, you they actually saw that in their feeling scale. Mm-hmm which they really didn't cover and they didn't really discuss that in the, um, I thought that was pretty informative that. And of course that the RP was, um, you know, not zero when they started. Yeah. I'm trying to see, uh, did they mention anything else about the RPE in the discussion? I couldn't find anything. No, they measured, made a work, work measurement. They called it LU. Um, mm -hmm. maybe that's a, a, a Polish word that, that abbreviation comes from. Um, but that was, but they never, they never, they never reported those values. Um, and these are things sometimes, I mean, you know, having written a few papers and then, you know, way back when I, you know, reviewed a good bit when I was still active in academia, you, you see all these things that come through. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was, the, 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 they, they went in, they talked about, you know, the reasons why, um, they talked about phosphocreatins basically being the predominant energy source um, or being at its highest mm -hmm. levels during those initial two sets. And you got more reps, mm -hmm. um, but they're, what they're not doing is tapping into what it is that connects phosphocreatin and the ergogenic effects of caffeine. Like why, why mm -hmm. is, why is caffeine? Um, it, it's they're, they're basically presuming it's a, has a psychological effect. So it affects, affects motor drive and effort levels. Mm-hmm. And they didn't see any effort level differences. Um, and so that phosphocreatin, that, that's a biochemical metabolic explanation for why there was higher performance at the beginning and none later on. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe they're, maybe they're, this may have been a, sort of a language barrier type of thing. Maybe they're just saying that the, the phosphocreatin availability was so high that you couldn't really detect differences in fatigue. Um, that became apparent just in that one set, statistically speaking, at the end. But um, yeah, so there's there's a lot lot going on here, but it's kind of hard to know because you don't we don't necessarily know we have a um, we don't know we have an ergogenic effect from caffeine, and we don't know that we have um, a resistance exercise bout per se that would detect that ergogenic effect from caffeine. That's two ways of saying essentially the same thing. Yeah, I also wonder. It's I mean because so. They took this, if they had taken maybe a better quality pre-workout supplement, one that's fully dosed, because you look here, they average it out. You're getting between, so between 3.2 to 6.4 grams per day of beta alanines, the, the clinical effective dosage. Citrulline malate, you got to be between 6 and 8 grams of citrulline malate. Though there's two studies that are sponsored by an amino acid house showing that a gram of each or a gram and a half of each citrulline and arginine help increase nitric oxide production and lower blood pressure. Taurine's anywhere between a thousand and 6,000 milligrams per day. 
Mm. Tyrosine's usually 2,000 milligrams per day as a minimum. And caffeine can be anywhere from, you know, 150 up to 600 milligrams based on your body weight. Um, I wonder if they, if they would have noticed a bigger difference if they had used a better quality pre-workout supplement. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they went into addressing the beta alanine. They, they talked about like, this is something that needs to be taken long-term. You're not going to get an acute performance effect here. So, right. And, and that's, that's nice marketing. And that's sort of supposed to be the convenience of this pre-workout is that you're loading your beta alanine while you're also getting the pre-workout effect. Correct. Um, yeah. In this particular case, you've got that intervening effect of potentially completely unblinding the subjects because they get the tingles when they mm -hmm. take all that beta alanine at a time, once at a time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting that they, it's, I think, I'm, I mean, I don't have any reason to doubt that you're right, that this was C4, but I don't say that they say that explicitly. So yeah, uh, maybe they, see if I can find it. May, yeah, maybe, yeah, if, if you could, because I don't want to, you know, misspeak, but um I mean, it's possible that, uh, you know, that's, that the, 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 the makers of C4 didn't want this literature to come out, you know, because um, it doesn't really uh, support the use of their supplement. Um, mm. Actually, the, that whole the whole second section that they did, they did kind of a, a market analysis um, and they sort of looked at the extent to which people are paying for caffeine which they're kind of presuming is the active ingredient based on the results of this study in these multi-ingredient pre-workout supplements and it's like you're you're throwing away your money essentially is what they're saying you know when caffeine is what you're what you're shooting for so but they don't note that specifically so uh i thought i remember that's what uh i had somebody forward me this study um, oh and that's yeah it's the, that's the proprietary. Those are the ingredients in the proprietary, one of the proprietary blends that's in C4. Yeah. Um, I just had to look that up because I, because I, yeah, I wanted to make sure, you know, we weren't misspeaking about the C4. So, you know, we could essentially it's close to C4. So we, you know, maybe yeah, I don't need to get out every time I mention get a nasty letters. gram from a yeah. Nutribolt, although I'm pretty sure that, I mean, you know, yeah, you, you've gotten those before. Won't, won't be the last time. Yeah. Uh, let's see if it's on here. And, you know, this harkens back, like one of the very first articles I wrote, I think from Muscle Mag, um, like 15 years ago, maybe was like something like anatomy of a supplement. We may have talked about this when we had the first podcast way back when. But the thing that I um, have suggested for years and years is, you know, figure out what ingredients you want to use. This is when it comes to a fat burner or a pre-workout or, you know, whatever you're using supplement wise. And keep it as simple as possible, and um, that way you can you can save yourself money because you, if you buy in bulk, mm -hmm. you know, and you don't mind you know having a you know cupboard full of bags of stuff that can be a bit messy. You can yeah. you can you know use what you know works, and it may come every once in a while. You may find like oh this is exactly what I needed. This all these ingredients are just the right proportion, but chances are that product is going to come and go. Oh yeah. So you lose the product and like, Oh, now you're screwed, you know, cause you don't have those ingredients anymore. And when it comes to proprietary blends, it's kind of issues with those. You may find a product that you work. So let's say you've, you start using, you know, fat burner X for one of your shows and you're like, I don't know what it is. It's in here. You know, it's got these ingredients and I've not used this one before. And, but this stuff works great. I noticed a substantial difference in how easy it was for me to lose fat. 
So I want to keep taking this stuff. Either you buy enough to last you for a decade um, or you lose out potentially on the fact that this supplement might not be around um, two years later. And you don't know what's in it because it's a proprietary blend. So you don't know the ratios per se. So that's, you know, and relating this back to the science, um, that's a difficulty in studying this stuff because they, you know, they sort of address the idea of the, the, the different components potentially having, and this not being a well explore, explored um, phenomenon. It's kind of interesting. It makes me wonder about the origins of the study because mm-hmm. they clearly state, and this is the case, I think that these multi-ingredient supplements are understudied. Um, and the issue is that we don't have enough studies that directly delineate whether if you combine taurine because of this GABA effect that you've mentioned with, caffeine that you lose the psychological stimulatory effects of caffeine yeah so let's document that so like this study for instance um using you know a clinically effective so to speak dose of taurine with a clinically effective dose of caffeine you could taurine mixes really well in water you could hide that one really well that would be that make that's easy to make a placebo out of or control out of um and let's take a look at that individually. And now we can document that, you know, with, with clear, reliable measures that, and do a double blind placebo. There's no reason why you should not do that. Yep. Um, I mean, it's a pain in the butt. You have to have a third person mix up your ingredients, you know, and label them. And usually you have like a code, different ways you can, m- number of ways you can do it. But I always mm-hmm. had like someone, um, you know, who, who did all the work, who was not affiliated with the study in any direct way, shape or form. And someone you knew and trusted, and they would mix them all up, and they were in charge of making sure they knew what each person got. And they only break that code after you've done all the stats and done everything. It's like, okay, we run all the stats now. We need to know who got what, um, or what was what, you know. So A and B, or whatever you whatever you called it for the stats. Yeah. So one other thing that might be interesting is that they gave the the supplements only thirty minutes prior to exercise and most of the study like the standalone studies on either citrulline or caffeine they're dosing them out at least 60 minutes so maybe there wasn't enough time to load the ingredients in the bloodstream but yeah it's not reaching peak values it's entering the bloodstream at around the 30 to 45 minute mark but you get the peak levels of them at the hour mark yeah i think most people use pre-workout so like 30 minutes before you know so maybe that's why they did that you know just right had a little is a little more in the trenches but you're right yeah 60 minutes is you know, this is kind of the standard at yeah. three to nine milligrams per kilogram, yeah. just a huge range. It so is. I would I mean, I would have like, there's so many, you know, cool things that could have been done here. I would have, I mean, you could have done, they could have done a, a taurine only, a caffeine only and a caffeine and taurine. Yep. Um, yeah. Completely double blinded would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the, you know, the flip of that, it would have been interesting to see, uh, if what if they had had them do you know five familiarization bouts, you know, mm-hmm. what's your weekly? Because most people are on almost everyone trains on a weekly schedule, right? So it's like okay, let's get you on a weekly schedule for two or three weeks if that's okay with you, and then we're going to bring you in on your chest day, you know, um, and do do the bout. We're going to do that bout you know every week for five weeks. And we determined we got a stable measurement. And then it's like, now we're going to start giving the, um, the, uh, the, the drinks that you get. Yeah. And got, they're flavored the same. They look the same. They taste the same. No one can know. The subjects don't know. The, um, the researchers don't know. 
they've established like there's there's also just familiarity you know i mean just in a general way like you come in you've done your your warm-ups and then the first time you come in you do the first test for the first time um they were they were i think they had people they they they, they put a citation they're doing these their reps in a power lifting style mm-hmm. i think they had was that mean they were pausing on the chest for each rep i don't know yeah, that's another good point too they sort of, you know, they, they noted that, but the, you know, that's a pa- paused bench press is not how most people bench press. So there's mm-hmm. some learning that happens there. So, but touch and go, many people do that. Yeah. Right. And I mean, you can change the number of reps you get. If you go touch and go versus pause, like you can go from eight to 15 reps, you know, just yeah. in the style of the pressing. So they didn't no, no, mention anything about tempo. So another thing that I like brought up, like there's, there's no metronome involved here, yeah. which is a typical, you know, way that this is done, um, at least for these types of things. So, you know, you figure out, you know, basic tempo that everyone can maintain. And once they lose tempo, that's when the set may end. Right. So. And they also think that not many people train exactly the same, you know, like, you know, uh, time times between sets and so on, rests, rests, resting between sets. It all makes a huge impact on the entire, like you know, results. So I also mm-hmm. think that the the overall outcome of of this whole thing is just like a bit skewed, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean that like that's that goes back to this notion of like was this particular exercise stress sensitive to a creatine or, or caffeine ergogenic effect? Right. Exactly. I mean, there had to be, there's no order effect, but I'm sure that just since there has to be, it had to be a learning effect. Um, like we had a, um, a situation for my master's thesis where um, we had a basically a partially double blinded situation. And uh, we had three different conditions. I won't go into all the details, but for one of those conditions, um, we were giving what we had to was dichloroacetic acid, mm-hmm. which impacts phosphate dehydrogenase activity and um, glucose disposal. So less lactates produced can have ergogenic effect. It's given as a um, emergency procedure for, for babies and infants that have uh, lactic acidosis. So mm-hmm. we, um, we were going to use that as a, uh, an ergogenic aid or tested as an ergogenic aid. But in order to do that, we had to get investigational new drug approval from the FDA. So I had to have a, have a physician on site. So on that particular day, um, there was a doctor there and we just sort of made, played it off as like, he just happened to stop by and he was a friend of the, of my professor. So they were both there and they met and like, they just wanted to see how things were going, blah, blah, blah. But he was there because on that day, everyone got DCA. <laughs> we knew that. Um, yeah. and I knew that the other days I didn't know what was going on, but on that day, that was what was happening. So mm-hmm. it may have been like, I wonder, cause they didn't mention this. Like maybe they, maybe there was, maybe they didn't randomize their, um, their order, you know, maybe they, maybe they gave everyone the same thing on one day. And that's why they, you know, they said this was sort of single blinded because like they gave everyone, maybe they said, you know, if we give them. And this would make sense. We give them the C4 with 16 grams of stuff in there in the water on the day one. And it's nice and sludgy and thick and, and nasty. And then we give them, you know, 500 milligrams of caffeine and 12 ounces of water. How much fluid they gave, we don't know. 
they're going to know something's yeah. different, you know? So maybe, you know, maybe we want to like, maybe they ordered that in some way just so people weren't aware of exactly what they're getting. But I, I don't, I'm just, I'm just guessing because they didn't tell us. So do we know if the, if the researchers added something extra to the liquid that con contains only like uh, caffeine? Because, you know, don't, don't, flavor, don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah, with the skin four, you've got all different kinds of super tasty like flavorings, you know, uh, enhancers and so on. So that can also play a uh, big role. And as you said, you know, with the with the gut distress and so on, maybe some of the colorings or the you know the additional sweeteners can impact hugely. You know, the the distress of of mm -hmm. the gut. People were like complaining about that. We're just expectancies about having gut issues. You know, maybe it's not yeah. going to happen, but they just know that it like, okay, this is coming back. Okay. So yeah, there's, there's just, there's so there's room for improvement here. And this ultimately this comes down to just, um, just kind of went through this as a co-author. I got to watch it more so, but uh, Chris Barricat, if he happens to see this, just, he finally got a, um, a case study that we did. He was the subject on peak week. And mm -hmm. we had to, he had to submit um, several times to different journals because it didn't fit the form of the journal or what the journal's mission was, et cetera. And, um, you know, the editorial, one of the editorial processes was, you know, pretty substantial. And But after that, things got cleaned up. But the editorial process is really where these things should be caught with, a, mm -hmm. with, a, in, with a, um, an article like this, a study like this. So, you know, they should be at these questions that, you know, I've pulled, these are the things that I would note if I were an editor and say, you know, this, this is a concern. It needs to at least be addressed. So we can say like, how much can we make of this study? How, how much value does this have? And when you're not controlling for the placebo effect, you're not telling you how you, how you, what you tried to do to obscure and keep the, or the subjects from knowing what was in there. Um, yeah. We don't know about the reliability of your measurements. Like we don't, like none of their measurements. We don't know if the measurement's sensitive to what you think you're trying to detect. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you know we we uh, we scan the beach for metal and we didn't find anything. Like, well, does your metal detector pick up aluminum? <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, yeah, like does this does this resistance exercise pick up mm -hmm. on this this bout pick up on caffeine's ergogenic effects? Um, so like we don't even know if you've got a viable um, test probe, so to speak, to evaluate the effectiveness of either of these conditions. So we don't know if there is any ergogenic effect whatsoever. There may have just been a, you know, there may have been an ergolytic effect from the C4 in this particular, which that feeling score, you know, sort of mm -hmm. suggests that something was different. They picked yeah. up on something, you know, there. It wasn't significant, but it was a substantial effect size. You can do an effect size analysis, and that would have been interesting for them to, mm -hmm. to do that, but that jumped out at me. So... Yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. I guess like at the end of the day, like across the five sets, there was only one rep difference overall, like on average. So, I mean, some people yeah. may have had five reps more on the caffeine only and or you know, 10 reps more like, but it averaged out to one. So it's funny that they say it's a significant, but I mean, statistically significant. Yes. Real world significant. I wonder, is that really enough to say that caffeine only is far superior to a pre-workout supplement? I mean, the, the practical significance it, yeah. it, 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 if that were if that were to happen every time on a regular basis so mm -hmm. like let's if you're someone like working along a, a program like dog crap training for instance which mm -hmm. you know probably heard me talk about it comes up a lot on my podcast yeah. 
um, or fortitude training too, where you're literally, you know, you're, you're trying to inch your eke out like a rep or two each time. Mm-hmm. So you've got an exercise you're holding on to, and you go three or four or five times. And then you have, you know, two days where you don't get any improvement in reps with the same load, then you drop that. But if you get an extra rep, you're still keep making progress. Yeah. So, you know, whether that would continue, you know, ad infinitum, like, you know, for the rest of your life, probably not, but that could mean that you go, let's say seven weeks instead of four weeks making progress. And that, and that's something which I think, you know, could make a difference over time. Um, There's, you know, I always wonder too about these studies that this would have been nice because um, I just was talking to a, um, a phone consult client about this the other day. Mm -hmm. I talked about it so many times on all my podcasts, but, set of studies where they looked at frequency of training. They use an within subjects design. One leg was, was trained five times per week. The other one, two or three times per week. Mm-hmm. First study showed no difference in the, it was um, 15 versus six or nine weeks, nine steps per week training in terms of muscle growth. Mm-hmm. But when they looked at the individuals, they saw some pretty interesting things. Some people grew really well. Some people didn't. Some people grew better from the higher volume, higher frequency conditions. Some people grew better from the lower volume, lower frequency. So there's variability. On average, there was no effect. Yeah. So there may have been, you know, some people who, you know, are like, maybe they've used C4 in the past. And they hadn't used it for six months or whatever their exclusion criteria was. And they're like, yeah. they're like, they take the C4 and they're like, man, this is the shit. All right. This is my bomb, right? I'm back in the saddle with my good old buddy C4. Here we go. Yeah, and they go to town and they get four more reps. And then there may have been some individuals, you know, who there was an ergolytic effect. They're like, okay, C4, I'm going to have diarrhea later today. This is great. Like, why the hell am I doing this? I'm not getting paid enough for this study. Let's get this over with. I don't feel so good when they ask the feeling score uh, test. And like, so that shows, so that there may have been variable effects. So this guy got this idea of non-responders and responders to some degree in in varying degrees too. So um, you know, some people like it sounds like Robert, you like pre-workouts, like you like to, you know, kick in the pants. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. On, like on certain days on, on a lower body leg day. No, like it's, it's going to be okay. a cup of coffee or something like that. I do not want like my heart rate jacked up. It gets high enough doing mm. Bulgarians and lunges and all this other, I don't need a high stem. I don't want it like chest and back or like a pull workout or a push workout. Yeah. I, I can handle three or 400 milligrams in a pre-workout. Very rarely do I go above 350 though. Um, mm-hmm. just didn't just, I don't need that much or, or even want that much to go right. above it. I can handle it, but I, I just typically don't. Yeah. Yeah. Some thing, thing I was thinking about is, I mean, some people really want those, want that. Some people don't, yeah. you know, so it depends on the person's experience with, uh, with pre-workout. So yeah. you know, we don't know what happened to the individual. So it's, uh, that would be, I, I would love to, back in the day, you know, like decades and decades ago, you saw in so many studies, they would list the individuals. They've just put the initials down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a lot of times the initials would match the initials of the, um, of the researchers too, because they were their own subjects um, for many things. But yeah. then that you, then, you know, and that's what really matters for the reader, the person who's like, should I be taking a pre-workout or not? Like right. there's, there's obviously, obviously there's, I would imagine there's something to say for C4, like someone who's like, okay, these guys just, well, we've just been rambling for like an hour and a half talking about this study. Like that really didn't, like, so C4 doesn't work or this, this multi-ingredient pre-workout supplement, whatever it was. Yeah. 
it may even have an ergolytic effect, but obviously it does something because mm -hmm. it sells like crazy. Oh yeah. So yeah. it works for someone somehow, Absolutely. you know, and you know, maybe the marketing is so good and the various, you know, the constellation of psychological factors that make us want, think that more is better, you know, got everyone convinced that they need to buy these. It tastes better. It's easy. You know, it's like, it just can't be so simple that you just should take a couple of caffeine pills right. and you get the same effect. But yeah, there's, there's possibly something there, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's where looking at the individual data could show you that, yeah, there were some people that ha had an improvement in performance and some people didn't. So your mileage may vary, you know, yeah, on yeah. average. Yeah. Um, and like in these studies too, like the thing that is always important to frame that I don't think gets mentioned enough is that the purpose of a study like this is to define a population. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we know what the range was. We really don't know what that population was. Let me look again here. Yeah, was, they just said, I mean, they, these were highly, tri highly 18 to 40 year olds, five and a half years on average of training. Yeah. So, um, their strength levels did they didn't list the one RMs, did they? No, but it said they had to have be able to do 75% of body weight, I believe. As a one rep max. Um, I remember seeing that. Yeah, but do they also train you on a regular basis or are they like training? Be able I'd to say, complete 10 reps, reps with at least 75% of body mass. So that's a like, you know, a 165-pound person who can do 135, just using American pounds here for a yeah. set of 10. That doesn't scream highly trained person. And right. and you're right, Lucas, it's a good point. Like, you know, they've been training for that long. Ex re resistance training experience. You yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah, I trained when I was in my teens, and now I'm 35. Like, <laughs> I doubt that yeah, was how many times you go into the gym and you hear, or oh, when I was as in your age, I was I was like benching this or that or squatting this or that. Yeah, that's just like uh, you know, like you or what have you. Yeah, but exactly, but it'd, be, it'd be nice to know, like have some have some because we want to figure out who does this information apply to. So it apply. We presume that the the subjects are sampled from a population. So is that population like gym rats who train six times a week? who can bench twice their body weight or, yeah, or, you know, like that minimum of 75% of your body weight for a set of 10 is, you know, most people can get that, get to that. Most men can get body weight sets of 10, yeah. um, you mm -hmm. know, after a year or two of training or many can, I don't know the exact number, but that like, that's, 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 that's something that the 75% is easily achievable and doesn't take yeah. five years to get there. So there's a relevance there. And then the, 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 the things that you can um, take from these studies is that if we plucked an, an, an individual from that population, which hopefully is as clearly defined as possible, how likely are we going to be able to say, or with how much confidence can we say that there's going to be a, an effect, a better effect from C4 or, or caffeine on performance when they do this particular bout? Mm -hmm. So, so is that, is that, so we don't know exactly who that population is. And this study seems to suggest that you, you actually might be a little bit, have a little bit less of a, uh, you might perform a little bit less. I want to say ergogenic effect because we don't know if there was one, mm -hmm. um, but a little bit less if you take the multi-ingredient. 
on average. But that doesn't tell us you can look at the standard deviation values um, mm -hmm. and get an idea of how much the performance varied. Let me see something. Here. Yeah, it was pretty. It's interesting. There was a um, a pretty large on that first set. The standard deviation was ah, standard deviation seemed like they're all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, but it's yeah. So you can sometimes look at that pattern, just the variability, um, and just see see that gives you an the standard deviation gives you an idea of variability. So where mm -hmm. where are things hi most highly variable? Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of variability in that first set when they're taking the multi-ingredient. Um, yeah. so how you start off, whether you're going to that gangbusters or, or not is, um, is more variable. It seems like you'd have, there's probably a statistical test to compare the standard deviations there in those cases, but standard right. deviation is, I would say, you know, it's, it's definitely higher. Mm -hmm. um, whether statistically speaking, I don't even know what the test would be to compare those two standard deviations. Maybe an expert out there can, can chime in and help me, help me with that. But that could be done, of course. Um, yeah. Greg Knuckles or someone, for instance, probably could do that off the top of his head. One right of the, now. the stat, stat buffs out there. I'm not, I'm not yeah. I know but, enough to get myself in trouble with stats. I'm not, I, I don't enjoy them by any stretch of the yeah. imagination or, or do them. But there's, well, that's just sort of an interesting phenomenon. The numbers are pretty tight post caffeine. Mm -hmm. plus or minus less than one rep where it's plus or minus one and a half reps. Mm -hmm. So um, not a huge thing, but so when we going back to the kind of the main point here is like, we've got a population. If you're one of those people that they, that they tested here, if you're, and this was their sample that's supposedly represented that population, which we don't know, how well can we say that this, the supplement would or would not affect your performance. And since we don't really know the population per se, um, there may not be any real substantial what's really termed external validity. Like, can we, can mm -hmm. we externalize the results of this study um, in large part to the average person who's taking C4? So is that person stronger or weaker? Um, you know, they're probably in that age range, but we don't know enough about those subjects to really say, like, does this, does this really apply to the guy who, who know, like, for instance, you, Robert, like, you, you know, like what, um, pre-workouts work best for which days for you. Mm -hmm. um, so you have experience with pre-workouts. You've been training. You train consistently. I imagine you're stronger than the average person in this study, although we don't know how strong they were. Right. So we don't got. We don't have that information. That would help so much. Yeah. That totally tells you about the relevance to um, to, to the pop to the average person reading this or to the yeah. in the real world in the trenches. So. Great. Um, so the study sort of, it gives you a, a, a generalizable findings, but it doesn't necessarily tell you what happens for the individual. Correct. And that's where it matters for the person is where they're going to take the supplement or not. Yeah. So it's like these studies there, they give you an interesting finding, but can you take it verbatim to apply to yourself? No, it's just something to consider. And then you adapt based on your personal experience and preferences and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So awesome. Uh, the, the, one last thought on that. It's just, yeah. just that those data are so often there. Like, the, and, the, and I always, I say this too, like it's the same universe where people go and train at 24 hour fitness and they go in the lab and they do this stuff. The problem in the lab is that they did a very specific, we don't know how that bench press protocol was exactly administered, 
But but they did have subjects who could have told you about the tingling that they got mm-hmm. or GI distress that they got or whether they knew they're on the supplement. Like you can have a, like a come clean session, a debriefing session at the end of the study and say, okay, is there anything you'd like to tell us about your experience, such as the following, anything in the following areas, gastric distress, mm-hmm. other areas that you perceive the, the supplements would have you know, been affecting your performance? Mm-hmm. Um, could you, did you know that you were taking this supplement or that supplement afterwards? And mm-hmm. you, can, uh, you can have a third person gather those things so that the experimenters don't know who took what. You know, mm-hmm. They run their, run their stats, so they're, they're still blinded to things. And then afterwards, they're like, okay. We're in our experiment when I show what's going on. It's like, okay, look at this. We had five subjects who had an ergolytic effect mm-hmm. um, by two reps or more in their rep total. All five of those told us that they had gastric distress, previous encounters with C4, and they all knew they were taking C4. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder, <laughs> like, that's important to know. And that's, 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 that gives you a scientific foundation for a future research study to say, okay, now we got to make sure we cover this stuff up better so we don't know that they're taking a placebo um, or they're, or they're taking the real stuff because the placebo effect is tremendous. Expectancies are tremendous. And that's what, that's what pre-workouts are really all about. It's like, now I'm, I'm turbocharged. I just took the stuff. I just, you know, Shazam just juiced me up with the lightning or, you know, like I'm hulking out or like whatever, like you're, you're becoming a superhero because now you're, you're souped up on the stuff. Yeah. And if you think, oh, shit, pardon my pardon the pun, like I'm taking something that's going to upset my belly. It's, I'm not going to have a good a good performance here. Well, guess what? Self-fulfilling prophecy is very potentially an outcome there. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to keep picking your brain for another hour, Dr. Scott. The reason I dropped off screen about 10 minutes ago is my AC guy just called saying I'm going to be there two hours earlier than expected. He's going to be oh. here in about 10 minutes, well, which good. we're good. We're, we're having the hottest day on record here in Austin. And my AC started not working so well last Thursday. So I'm very glad that he's showing up today. Uh, but he's going to be here in about 10 minutes. Otherwise, I, otherwise, I would love to keep picking your brain. Be um, not the drainage pipe. That's, Vacuum out your drainage pipe, your water pipe. That's the, like, it's not, I wonder if it's the, it's not charging, like the, the Freon's low in it too. Oh, could be. I think that might yeah. be an issue because it, it'll hold it during the night. We put it down to 68 during the day. It's around like 74, 75, and it's not holding at that temperature during the day. It's creeping up to like 78 or so. And obviously we're at 106 yeah. degrees here right now in Texas, but yeah. still. It's, I lived in Austin. We got to follow up. And I will do my best to contact the researchers because they are based in Warsaw, so it's yeah, not Warsaw. a problem. Joseph Sudzinski University was that it? Yeah, I will. I will do. My, I will do my best to uh, send them an email and try to like connect with them and ask them some questions and maybe also provide them this podcast. So maybe they will, you know, do do something with it. They're yeah, gonna be angry. Be. They're not gonna like it very much. But. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, literally, it's just that's, you know, it's sort of the, the, the job, the purpose was to sort of take this apart, you know, and, and, yeah. and um, I mean, I normally wouldn't take it on myself like to just destroy this study, but it's the, it's the, it's the, the, the ideas and the notions about things that can, that can um, cloudy, muddy the waters when it comes to research findings. It's important. So yeah. I wanted the, the, the listeners to know about that. So at the end of the day, we, yeah, at the end of the day, we want to get better, right? So absolutely, I think yeah. they, I think they will appreciate that. Okay, yeah, it's not cool. done with any malicious intent or anything. No, like oh that. no, no, no. 
No. Um, Dr. Scott, is there anything you want to plug uh, or no, uh, I'm a direct the, the listeners to yeah. do or anything? Yeah. Um, be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. That's my book. It's on Amazon. It's a brain dump. It's got all sorts of stuff in there. Um, I, it, I find I really like, it helps a lot of people. I've gotten so much wonderful feedback of pe- people who've just been able to take the bull by the horns by themselves and have tremendously profited and that they've been able to diet down for shows or make gains and they've done it all themselves. And this, I'm not making this a, an anti-coaching plug here, but um, just having had, had the experience of being able to have done, done it all um, by yourself, basically with that book as your guide is, has been really, really rewarding for lots of people. So I've been, I'm happy to spread that word because it makes, it makes the endeavor more, um, more valuable for, for people. So that's why, that's why I wrote it. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. I will include notes to that or links to that in the show notes. There we go. My brain got crisscrossed okay. for a second. Too hot. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, Dr. Scott, for your time. Lucas, thanks again for, for hopping on the podcast and getting this going and uh, and making us all meet up. We appreciate it, man. And uh, we'll catch you all next time. All on right. Supplement Engineer Podcast. Right on. Thank you. Thank you.